0: Chapter seven of The Art of Travel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Ullman. The Art of Travel by Sir Francis Galton. Chapter seven. Measurements. Distance to measure the length of a journey by time the pace of a caravan across average country is two and a half statues or two geographical miles per hour as measured with compasses from point to point and not following the sinuosities of each day's course but in making this estimate every minute lost in stoppages by the way is supposed to be subtracted from the whole time spent on the road a careful traveler will be surprised at the accuracy of the geographical results obtainable by noting the time he has employed in actual travel experience shows that ten english miles per day measured along the road or what is much the same thing seven geographical miles measured with a pair of compasses from point to point is taking one day with another and including all stoppages of every kind whatever be their cause very fast travelling for a caravan in estimating the probable duration of a journey in an unknown country or in arranging an outfit for exploring expedition not more than half that speed should be reckoned upon indeed it would be creditable to an explorer to have conducted the same caravan for a distance of a thousand geographical miles across a rude country in six months. The data have, of course, no reference to a journey which may be accomplished by a single great effort, nor to one where the watering places and pasturages are well known, but applied to an exploration of considerable length, in which a traveler must feel his way, and where he must use great caution not to exhaust his cattle, lest Some unexpected call for exertion should arise, which they might prove unequal to. Persons who have never traveled, and very many of those who have, from neglecting to analyze their own performances, entertain very erroneous views on these matters. Rate of movement to measure. A. When the length of a pace, etc., is known before beginning to observe. A man or a horse walking at the rate of one mile per hour takes ten paces in some assertable number of seconds dependent upon the length of his step. If the length of his step be thirty inches, he will occupy seventeen seconds in making ten paces. Conversely, if the same person counts his paces for seventeen seconds and finds that he has taken Ten in that time, he will know that he is walking at the rate of exactly one mile per hour. If he has taken forty paces in the same period, he would know that his rate has been four miles per hour. If thirty five paces, that it had been three and a half or three and a half miles per hour, thus it will be easily intelligible that if a man knows the number of seconds appropriate to the length of his pace, he can learn the rate at which he is walking by counting his paces during that number of seconds and dividing the number of his paces so obtained by ten. In short, the number of his paces during the period in question gives his rate per hour in miles and decimals of a mile to one place of decimals. I am indebted to Mr. Archibald Smith for this very ingenious notion which I have worked into the following tables. In table one, I give the appropriate number of seconds corresponding to paces of various lengths. I find, however, that the pace of neither man nor horse is constant in length during all rates of walking. Consequently, where precision is sought, It is better to use this table on a method of approximation. That is to say, the traveler should find his approximate rate by using the number of seconds appropriate to his estimated speed. Then, knowing the length of a pace due to that approximate rate, he will proceed afresh by adopting a revised number of seconds and will obtain a result much nearer to the truth than the first. Table one could of course be employed for finding the rate of a carriage when the circumference of one of its wheels was known, but it is a troublesome to make such a measurement. I therefore have calculated table two in terms of the radius of the wheel. The formulae by which the two tables have been calculated are m equals one times zero point five six eight two for table one and m equals r times 3.570 for table 2, where m is the appropriate number of seconds, l is the length of the pace or circumference of the wheel, and r is the radius of the wheel. The formulae by which the two tables have been calculated are m equals l times 0.5682 for table 1, and m equals r times 3.570 for table 2, where m is the appropriate number of seconds, l is the length of the pace or circumference of the wheel, and r is the radius of the wheel. b. When the length of pace is unknown till after observation. In this case, the following plan gives the rate of travel per hour with the smallest amount of arithmetic. For statute miles per hour, observe the number of paces, n, taken in 5.7 seconds. Let i be the number of inches to be subsequently determined at leisure in a single pace. Then n, i, divided by 100 is the rate per hour. For geographical miles per hour, the number of seconds to be employed is 5. This formula is therefore very simple, and it is a useful one. A statute mile is 1,760 yards, and a geographical mile is five yards. For finding the rate in statute miles per hour in a carriage, observe the number of revolutions n made by the wheel in 18 seconds. Let d be the number of inches in the diameter of the wheel. Then, nd divided by 200 is the rate per hour. The above method is convenient for measuring the rate at which an animal gallops. After counting its paces, it may be through a telescope during this prescribed number of seconds. You walk to the track and measure the length of its pace. If you have no measuring tape, stride in yards alongside its track. Define the number of yards that are covered by 36 of its paces. That is, of course, identical with the number of inches in one of its paces. Convenient equivalence. The rate of one mile per hour is the equivalent to each of the rates in the following list. Yards, feet, inches, 29.333 or eighty eight point zero 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 or one oh five six point zero 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 in one minute or zero point four eight eight or one point four six six or seventeen point six oh oh in one second. Measurement of length. Actual measurement with the rudest makeshift is far preferable to an unassisted guest, especially to an unpractised eye. Natural units of length. A man should ascertain his height, height of his eye above ground, ditto when kneeling, his fathom, his cubit, his average pace, the span from ball of thumb to tip of one of his fingers, the length of the foot, the width of two, three, or four fingers, and the distance between his eyes. In all probability, some one of these is an even and useful number of feet or inches, which he will always be able to recollect and refer to as a unit of measurement. The distance between the eyes is instantly determined and, I believe, never varies while measurements of stature and certainly those of girth of limb become very different when a man is exhausted by long travels and bad diet it is therefore particularly useful for measuring small objects to find it hold a stick at arm's length at right angles to the line of sight then looking past its end to a distant object shut one eye and then the other until you have satisfied yourself of the exact point on a stick that covers the distant object as seen by the one eye. When the end of the stick exactly covers the same object as seen by the other eye, a stone's throw is a good standard of reference for greater distances. Cricketers estimate distance by the length between wickets. Pacing yards should be practiced. It is well to dot or burn with the lens of your opera glass, a scale of inches on the gun stock and pocket knife. Velocity of sound. Sound flies at 380 yards or about 1,000 feet a second. Speaking in round numbers, it is easy to measure rough distances by the flash of a gun and its report. For even a storm of wind only makes 4% difference one way or the other in the velocity of sound. Measurement of Angles Rude Measurements I find that a capital substitute for a very rude sextant is afforded by the outstretched hand and arm. The span between the middle finger and thumb subtends an angle of about 15 degrees and that between the forefinger and the thumb, an angle of 11 and a quarter degrees, or one point of the compass. Just as a person may learn to walk yards accurately, so may he learn to span out these angular distances accurately, and the horizon, however broken it may be, is always before his eyes to check him. Thus, if he begins from a tree, or even from a book on his shelf, and spans all around until he comes to the tree or the book again, he should make 24 of the larger spans, and thirty-two of the lesser one. These two angles of fifteen degrees and eleven and a quarter degrees are particularly important. The sun travels through fifteen degrees in each hour and therefore by spanning along its course as estimated from the place where it would stand at noon, aided in this by the compass, the hour before afternoon and similarly after sunrise or before sunset can be instantly reckoned. Again, the angles, 30 degrees, 45 degrees, 60 degrees, 90 degrees, all of them simple multiples of 15 degrees, are by far the most useful ones in taking rough measurements of heights and distances because of the simple relations between the sides of right-angled triangles. One of those other angles are 30 degrees, 45 degrees, or 60 degrees. And also because sixty degrees is the value of an angle of an equilateral triangle. As regards eleven and a quarter degrees or one point at a conference, it is perfectly out of the question to trust to bearings taken by the unaided eye, or to steer a steady course by simply watching a star or landmark. When this happens to be much to the right or the left of it. Now nothing is easier than to span out the bearing from time to time. Right angles to layout. A triangle whose sides are three, four, and five must be a right angle one, since five times five equals three times three plus four times four. Therefore, we can find a right angle very simply by means of measuring tape. We take a length of 12 feet yards, fathoms, or whatever it may be, and peg its two ends side by side to the ground. Peg number two is driven in at the third division, and peg number three is held at the seventh division of the cord, which is stretched out till it becomes taut. Then the peg is driven in. These three pegs will form the corners of a right-angled triangle, peg number two being situated at the right angle approximate arcs. One degree subtends at a distance of one statue mile, 90 feet. One foot subtends at a distance of one statue mile, 18 inches. One foot subtends at a distance of 100 yards, one inch. One inch of latitude on the earth's surface is 100 feet. 30 feet is subtended by the diameter of either the sun or the moon. Angles measured by their chords. The number of degrees contained by any given angle may be ascertained without a protractor or other angular instrument by means of a table of chords. So also may any required angle be protracted on paper through the same simple means. In the first instance, draw a circle on a paper with its center at the apex of the angle and with a radius of 1,000. Next, measure the distance between the points where the circle is cut by the two lines that enclose the angle. Lastly, look for that distance, which is the chord of the angle, in the annexed table, where the corresponding number of degrees will be found. If it be desired to protract a given angle, the same operation is to be performed in a converse sense. I need hardly mention that the chord of an angle is the same thing as twice the sine of half that angle, with as tables of natural signs are not nowadays commonly to be met with. I have thought it well worth while to give a table of chords. When a traveller who is unprovided with regular instrument wishes to triangulate or when having taken some bearings but having no protractor, he wishes to lay them down upon his map, this little table will prove of very great services to him c measurement of distances to inaccessible places triangulation measurement of distance to an inaccessible place by similar triangles. To show how the breadth of a river may be measured without instruments, without any table, and without crossing it, I have taken the following useful problem from the French Manuel d'Ugigny. Those, usually given by English writers, for the same purpose are, strangely enough, unsatisfactory, for they require the measurement of an angle. This plan requires pacing only. To measure a G, produce it for any distance as to D. From D, in any convenient direction, take any equal distance, D, C, small c, small d. Produce B, C to small b, making small c, big B, C, B. Join DB and produce it to A that is to say, to a point where A, C produce, intersects it. Then the triangles to the left of C are similar to those on the right of C, and therefore a small b is equal to AB. The points D, C, etc. may be marked by brushes planted in the ground or by men standing. The disadvantage of this plan are its complexity and the usual difficulty of finding a sufficient space of level ground for its execution. The method given in the following paragraph is incomparably more facile and generally applicable. Triangulation by measurement of chords. Colonel Everest, the late Surveyor General of India, pointed out, journal Roy Geographic Society, 1860 page 122, the advantage to travelers unprovided with angular instruments of of measure the chords of the angles they wish to determine. He showed that a person who desired to make a rude measurement of the angle CAB in the figure, page 40, has simply to pace for any convenient less from A toward C, reaching, we will say, the point small a, and then to pace an equal distance from a towards b, reaching the point a, small a, small e. Then it remains for him to pace the distance a foot and a inch, which is the chord of the angle, a, to the radius a, a foot. Knowing this, he can ascertain the value of the angle CAB by reference to a proper table. In the same way, the angle CBA can be ascertained. Lastly, by pacing the distance AB to serve as a base, all the necessary data will have been obtained for determining the lines AC and BC. The problem can be worked out either by calculation or by protraction. I have made numerous measurements in this way and find the practical error to be within 5%. Table for Rude Triangulation by Chords It occurred to me that the plan described in the foregoing paragraph might be exceedingly simplified by a table such as that which I annex in which different values of a foot and a inch are given for a radius of 10 and in which the calculations are made for a base equals 100. The units in which capital A, A foot, A capital A, A inch, and B, capital B, B foot, capital B, B inch, are to be measured, are intended to be paces, though of course any other units would do. The units in which The base is measured may be feet, yards, minutes, or hours, journey, or whatever else is convenient. Any multiple or divisor of 100 may be used for the base, if the tabular number be similarly multiplied. Therefore, a traveler may ascertain the breadth of a river, or that of a valley, or the distance of any object on either side of his line of march, by taking not more than some 60 additional paces, and by making a single reference to my table particular care must be taken in walk in a straight line from capital a to capital b by sighting some more distant objects in a line would be it will otherwise surprise most people on looking back at their track to see how curved it has been and how far their b foot capital b is from being in the right direction measurement of time sundial Plant a stake firmly in the ground in a level, open space, and get ready a piece of string, a tent peg, and a bit of stick a foot long. When the stars begin to appear, and before it is dark, go to the stake, lie down on the ground, and plant the stick, so adjusting it that its top and the point where the string is tied to the stake shall be in a line with the Polar Star, or rather with the pole. See below. Then get up, stretch the string so as just to touch the top of the stick and stake it down with the tent peg. Kneel down again to see that all is all right, and in the morning draw out the dial lines, the string being the gnomon. The true north pole is distance about one and one-half degree or three suns or moons diameters from the polar star and it lies between the polar star and the pointers of the great bear, or more truly, between it and, Greek letter, U-R-S-A-E, Marjoris. The one essential point of dial-making is to set the gnomon truly, because it ensures that the shadows shall fall in the same direction at the same hours all year round. To a certain way to mark the hour lines on the ground or wall on which the shadow of the gnomon falls, the simplest plan is to use a watch, or whatever makeshift means of reckoning time be at hand. Calculations are troublesome unless the plate is quite level or vertical and exactly facing south or north, or else in the plane of the equinox. The figure represents the well-known equinoctial sundial, it can easily be cast in lead. The spike points towards the elevated pole, and the rim of the disc is divided into 24 equal parts for the hours. Pendulum. A traveler, when the last of his watches breaks down, has no need to be disheartened from going on with his longitudinal observations, especially if he observes occultations and eclipses. The object of a watch is to tell the number of seconds that elapse between the instant of oculation, eclipse, etc., and the instant a minute or two later when the sextant observation for time is made. All that a watch actually does is to beat seconds and to record the number of beats. Now a string and a stone, swung as a pendulum, will beat time, and a native who is taught throw a pebble into a bag at each beat will record it and for operations that do not occupy much time he will be as good as a watch the rate of the pendulum may be determined by taking two sets of observations with three or four minutes interval between them and if the distance from the point of suspension to the centre of the stones be thirty-nine inches and if the string be thin and the stone very heavy It will beat seconds very nearly indeed. The observation upon which the longitude of the East African jakes depended, after Captain Spake's first journey to them, were lunars timed with a string and a stone in default of a watch. Hourglass. Either dry sand or water may be used in an hourglass. If water be used, the aperture through which it runs must, of course, be smaller. End of chapter 7. Recording by Gary Ullman, West Palm Beach, Florida.